Hope everybody's having a glorious Friday. Remember, do not eat meat. If you eat meat on Fridays, you are not a true fan of Militant Thomist. And yes, I know everybody who's going to comment that should be feed him. I know. I've been informed. I made that like two years ago. Uh, originally had St. John Henry Newman on there, but uh, now it has St. Thomas Aquinas. So I just noticed that. I need to change change this. I forgot, but I already started recording, so uh, cry about it if you have a problem. So what will we be talking about today? So if you have been keeping up with the Eucharistic series uh, that I have been doing, I recorded all those videos like two months ago, and I've been putting them out slowly over time. So it has been a while since I've recorded one, but I made sure I kind of checked up on where I was. So if I repeat stuff, I'm sorry. Um, but now we're going to be going from last time talking about transubstantiation, so the change of substance, and we're going to be looking at the Eucharistic species. So uh, generally, our thesis for this is going to be that uh, in the Eucharist, the really objective species of the bread and wine remain the same ones that were in the substance of bread and wine before the conversion, but now they remain without any subject. So really what we're going to be treating here is uh, what's called a species. So what is a species? Normally when we think of species, we think of it in the logical sense, like the, the human species, the rational animal. But here, uh, what we mean by species is the sort of collective of sensitive properties that you refer to a certain thing as. So with, with bread, it's going to be well, actually, with human, it would be this, uh, uh, this or that tall, uh, this sort of general shape, um, and those various outward um, accidents or attributes or visible properties that when we sense that thing, it verifies in our intellect that that thing exists, that is of uh, this certain type or kind. That's really what we mean by species. So we're going to be looking at the objective reality of the species. Uh, and what we mean by that is, if you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about Eucharistic miracles and the fact that Eucharistic miracles are actually not um, the objective reality that they signify. It's actually just a, a subjective impression on our intellect. So that would be an example of something which is a subjective reality. It's only a reality in that uh, we are given some sort of vision of something. It's not an objective reality. And uh, second, we're going to be uh, talking about how it's actually the same species as it was before. So there was a few people who put forth a theory that actually God kind of just recreates the entirety of it. God destroys the bread and the wine and then recreates uh, a sort of objective reality to look at. But uh, that was that's clearly rejected. There's a continuity between the outward species of the Eucharist. Uh, outward species of bread and wine before and after. And then the third thing, and this is going to be the most controversial, we say that they remain without any subject. So what do we mean by subject? So let's think of uh, the fact that I am a white man. So man is going to be, generally speaking, we can say my substance. Now, when it comes to whiteness, whiteness is some sort of accident or outward property that I have. So the subject of my whiteness is the fact that I am a man. But with the Eucharist, as we talked about before, uh, there's a change of substance. Now, we're going to talk about later why this can't be, but 
the the substance of our Lord's body and blood does not then become the subject of the accidents of bread and wine. We actually describe uh, Christ's body and blood being under the species of bread and wine, not necessarily that the species is in Christ's body and blood. So uh, the species acts as sort of a quasi veil of Christ's, uh, the substance of Christ's flesh and blood. So, uh, when it comes to the adversaries of this thesis, there have been uh, many historically. Uh, later, there was the Cartesians who were against this famously because of some bad metaphysics that they had. But really, the most famous are the Wycliffeites. So uh, Wycliffe was a, I want to say, 14th century, late 14th centuries. I want to say his, his dates. But Wycliffe, he was a Oxford professor. And he was famous for denying certain points of Roman dogma and going against a lot of the scholastics before him. And one of these points that he was really on was that transubstantiation was not something which was true uh, because of his objection to the fact that accidents inhere in a subject. I mean, accidents don't inhere in a subject in transubstantiation. And I have a video about this. Uh, that I did a few weeks ago. So you can just watch that. I'm not going to cover this in detail, uh, this question of accidents and hearing. I, uh, I've i done a lot of work on this before my conversion. I did a lot of work uh, arguing for Wycliffe's position. And then now I've done some work arguing against Wycliffe's position. You just have to, um, just have to look in the Eucharist series and, and go down and you see that <clears throat> I have a video on this. So if you're really interested in why Wycliffe was wrong here, uh, you can just look at that. But also there was some uh, following Abelard who said that the accents of bread and wine in here in the air, which uh, interesting position, but still wrong. And we'll get into this later. Why it's wrong. Uh, not really important now. So uh, the most important uh, uh, ecclesiastical document when it comes to defining the church's belief on this has to do with uh, first Lateran four. So Lateran four describes the body and blood of our Lord uh, under the species of bread and wine. So uh, that the, the first two parts of this thesis, the objective reality and then the continuity of this, that same objective reality of the species that is defined at Lateran four. And then specifically when we're thinking about the errors of Wycliffe, when it comes to the inherence of the substance I mean, the adherence of the accidents not uh, being uh, something which exists, there's no adherence. Uh, that's something which was defined at the Council of Constance. So when it comes to the theological note, there is some disagreement over how weighty some of the earlier authorities were, but it's generally agreed among the theologians that this entire thesis is something which is de fide. So it would be heretical to go against this thesis and to disagree with any of the parts of it, including when it comes to inherence. So the proof of this. So first, uh, we can look at the proof of the theologians. This question wasn't really uh, treated in the time of the fathers uh, when it comes to the nature of the Eucharistic species, not something that was really um, treated. So we can't uh, look back to that. It, it's not even something which is uh, explicitly uh, treated in scripture. It's something which is only uh, of, of a certain uh, consequence of a doctrine contained in scripture, which is transubstantiation. Uh, so 
the main proof of this is going to be from the consensus of the theologians. So as you remember, I think I've mentioned this before in this series. If not, uh, this is new to you. Blessed Pope Pius IX talks about how the consensus of theologians uh, on a certain doctrine that it is contained in the sources of revelation and to be held by faith. So remember, containing the revelation held by faith. If there is an absolute consensus of theologians on that, uh, actually not absolute, a moral consensus of theologians on that, then it is something which is of the faith. And this is an example. Uh, first, you see it being formulated in Peter Lombard, and then St. Albert the Great, St. Thomas, St. Bonaventure, Blessed Scotus. Everybody really follows um, the, uh, the master of the sentences on this. And you see when the teaching of Wycliffe does come up and somebody does disagree with this doctrine, they are condemned uh, very harshly by all of the theological schools. Uh, really, nobody, uh, Wycliffe's view really doesn't catch on with anybody, uh, even Huss. Uh, Huss was a follower of Wycliffe, and Huss even uh, denied Wycliffe's view on this matter. So uh, until the Protestant Reformation, there really wasn't uh, any Wycliffeites. Uh, Wycliffe was kind of just a blip and everybody um Everybody teamed up to to beat Wycliffe up on this on this matter, so to speak, in a technical and theological sense. And then also among the uh, the second scholastics. So after the period of medieval scholastics, you see a general agreement among the Baroque era theologians that this is something which is de fide, uh, and therefore to disagree with it is heretical. So clearly there is a consensus when it comes to the fact that this is contained in the deposit of faith. So uh, now when it comes to the specifically theological argumentation on this matter. Let me look. This is going to be found in uh, Summa Theologiae uh, Tertia Pars, question 77, uh, article 1. So whether the accents remain in the sacrament without a subject, the answer is that the species of the bread and wine which are perceived by our senses to remain in the sacrament after consecration are not subject in the substance of the bread and wine for it does not remain and this is obvious uh, we can't say that the subject is the bread and wine because the bread and wine uh, do not remain in their substance so that first part's obvious furthermore it is manifest that the accidents are not subject to the substance of christ's body and blood because the substance of the human body cannot in any way be affected by such accidents nor is it possible of christ's glorious and impassable body to be altered so as to receive these qualities so uh, it's also not going to be christ's body and blood and why well Christ's body is what's, uh, and really every glorified body is said to be what's called impassable. So there isn't uh, a, a certain, it, it isn't subject to the passion of outward uh, actions in corrupting it. So it really a better way to put it would be incorruptible. Now, what happens with a lot of uh, Eucharistic hosts, let's say, uh, God forbid, you have a Eucharistic host that gets lost somehow and it uh, gets eaten by mice or it, uh, it decays in some way or rots uh that that's not something that we could say about christ's glorious and resurrected body that would be impious and also uh, impossible since he has a impassable resurrected body now the further question uh is well um what do we do when it comes to the atmosphere the uh the view that abelard and some of his followers held and he says this cannot be because 
because in the first place, the atmosphere is not susceptible of such accidents. Second, because these accidents are not where the atmosphere is, nay more, the atmosphere is displaced by the motion of these species. So when you move the Eucharistic host, the atmosphere moves around it. The atmosphere is displaced. So if something inheres in something, it can't also displace it. That would be a contradiction right there. Third, because accidents do not pass from subject to subject, so that the same identical at, uh, accident, which was first in one subject, be afterwards in another, because an accident is individualized by the subject. Hence, it cannot come to pass for an accident remaining uh, identically the same to be at one time in one subject and be another time in another subject. So you can't have this uh, hip hopping uh, back and forth between one subject to another with accidents. That's just not how it works. So this really also displaces any other theories, including the theory above about it being Christ's body and blood. Fourth, since the atmosphere is not deprived of its own accidents, uh, it would have to be at one time its own accidents and others foreign to it, nor can it be maintained that this is done miraculously in virtue of the consecration, because the words of consecration do not signify this, and thus they affect only what they signify. Yeah, and this, and this last uh, point is that, well, in order for this change to happen, there would be need, need to be some sort of trans-accidentation when it comes to the surrounding atmosphere, which would be super weird. Uh, and this can't be proved because there's this isn't signified in the words of consecration. You would have to say uh, something to the effect of this uh, this atmosphere is uh, or uh, this atmosphere appears to be uh, my body alongside this is my body, which would be uh, really odd. And that doesn't happen. So we can be very sure that it's not the surrounding atmosphere. And then uh, St. Thomas goes on to argue for the inherence of the accidents and for curiosity's sake, since I'm sure you guys are all wondering because this is a huge question, I'll just read it and explain it anyways. Therefore, it follows that the accidents continue in the sacrament without a subject. This can be done by divine power, for since an effect depends more upon the first cause than the second, God, who is the first cause of both of uh, substance and accident, can by his unlimited power preserve an accident in existence when the substance is withdrawn whereby is preserved in existence as by its proper cause, just as without natural uh, causes he can produce other effects of natural causes, even as he formed the human body in the virgin's womb without the seed of man. So the reason that he's going to give is divine power in its very nature. It produces both the first and the instrumental causes. So God by divine power uh, produces substances and God by divine power produces accidents. He just works through substances. So even when you remove uh, that instrument whereby God works through, he can still bring about the effect. Just as when God creates the human, he works through uh, the instrument of sexual generation. And with our Lord, he produced the effect of his body without the instrument of sexual generation, um, thus bringing about the virginal birth. So it's, it's, a, uh, it's a similar idea when it comes to um, uh, the uh, transubstantiation. Okay, so I'm not going to get too much into the accidents thing because, um, again, just look at one of my other videos where I talk about it. So uh, when it comes to some of the finer points of explaining this mystery of the inherence of the accidents, the general explanation, although there's some people that disagree, so this isn't like day feeder or anything. This is just a um, sort of um, speculative description of it. The general explanation is that quantity is what's called an absolute accident. So with the... Accidents of quality, so quality would be like 
um, color, uh, I don't know, beauty, things, things like that. Those would be qualities. Whereas quantity is talking about dimensive quantity. So like the size of something would be the quantity. So what the theory of absolute accidents brings forth is the idea that really when it comes to um, the ordinary way in which a, a, a quality is individualized, it's really individualized on the quantity of something, the, the dimensive quantity. So like the size and stuff. And then the quantity is uh, individual uh, is inherent in the substance of a certain thing. That's going to be the general theory behind this. So when you have the Eucharistic uh, miracle that uh, the, uh, sorry, the transubstantiation that happens, really the qualities, we don't really need to explain how they inhere because they already inhere uh, in the quantity as sort of a quasi subject. So really we're going to have to explain the quantity and the quantity, it kind of explains itself because it can be sufficiently individuated by the uh, the matter which is present. So God doesn't need to bring about a new material cause. Uh, rather, he just needs the efficient causality of his power. Um, so that's, that's the general way in which uh, scholastic theologians are going to explain it. Although, again, this isn't universal. Uh, Cardinal Franzlin, for example, uh, denied that this was a good explanation. So... Uh, we can also think about the activities of the species. So with the species of bread and wine, it continues the same sort of activities as it, uh, as it did before. Um, so when you eat uh, bread, it nourishes like bread. Uh, when you break bread, it breaks like bread. It, it still has all of the activity that it did before. But what you have to remember is that when the species are corrupted, when and that would be the the matter of the sacrament. When the species are corrupted, uh, let's say when you take a host and throw it in a fire, it is the ashes are no longer the body of Christ because the species has been corrupted. And it's no longer the sacrament and, uh, and so on and so forth. So that's something important to remember. And then now thinking about the relationship between the species and the body of Christ, uh, we cannot speak of, we, we cannot really speak of uh, the body of Christ in, in a technical and uh, physical sense, receiving what is received by the accident. So what, what do I, what do I mean by that? So when you chew, uh, carnally chew, uh, let's say the Eucharistic host, when you receive it, you are not chewing the body of Christ after a, uh, after a substantial or accidental, a sort of formal physical way of, of thinking about it, because there isn't a physical union between the two. The union we really uh, speak about is, is really one of efficient causality, not of material causality. So the body, the, the substance of the body of Christ, the substance of the um, blood of Christ is said to be under in that it is uh, bringing about efficiently the upholding of the species. That's when we speak of under, not like a sort of a local uh, kind of underness. And we're going to talk about uh, the way in which we speak of Eucharistic presence later. But uh, definitely uh, there have been some extremely material ways or uh, too corporeal or physical ways of speaking about Eucharistic presence. 
Uh, but we have to remember that substance isn't something which is physical or corporeal, although it's true and real. So uh, that is all I have for you. Thank you for uh, listening to this. Uh, if you really enjoy my work here and would like me to continue to do more, make sure you become a patron at patreon.com slash militantomas. And that's all I have for you. 